Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. The news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Drew, I wanted to start things off on a somewhat sad note that this past Friday, Blue Sky Studios officially closed its doors. They've been around since 1987, and 450 people just lost their jobs. Didn't even get to finish that last movie, Nimona, though you dug up a piece of info that perhaps shines a light on why Disney made this decision? Yeah, there was a very weird story that came out like right after we finished recording last week. Yeah, yeah. About how that they received 49 million more in Connecticut state taxes than it should have. Mm-hmm. And did you see why it was? Because they were they were going under a film and TV production credit that they shouldn't have been. Really? They were getting an animation credit and they were getting this other production credit mm-hmm. which is meant for live action features. So Hmm. they were sort of double collecting. And I wonder if Disney got wind of this Hmm. and said, oh, God, we got to shut this down before this becomes even more of a problem. But Hmm. also to Disney, 49 million sounds like a drop in the bucket. No, I get that. But you and I both know how aggressive the state of Connecticut was. I mean, wasn't Blue Skies originally in White Plains? They were in White Plains and then they moved to Greenwich, which is not far from where I used to live. So, Hmm. yeah. I still remember the stories from the guys at Blue Sky who looked out the windows and watched the towers fall when they were in White Plains. And just the notion of Connecticut pursued them because they wanted film production in the state. So I'm just surprised that this late in the game, oh, we shouldn't have given you that. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) weren't you the guys who wanted us here? You know, There's not a lot else going on in Connecticut either. So I get that. But I'm still just startled at... How quickly this happened. I mean, the news broke February 9th, and here we are nine weeks later, and Blue Sky is gone. Listen, I think I think with overtime, you could have finished that movie in eight and a half <laughs> weeks. Yeah, you know, like. yeah. I wonder what's eventually going to wander out. What are we going to get to see? But, but anyway, that happened right. on Friday. This past weekend, we learned that Casa Bonita, that Mexican restaurant that most of us probably know from that South Park episode from 2003, but it's a really, really, really for real place in Colorado. I've uh, been in business for 46 years, but it just filed for Chapter 11. And back in 2012, Casa Bonita uh, was up for sale. And for like this very brief window of time, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park, supposedly toyed with buying this Denver institution. And that was largely with Matt and Trey, who both grew up in Colorado, have very fond memories of going to Casa Bonita's kids. So there's this 2016 interview that Parker did with The Hollywood Reporter. And so he talks about how four years ago it came up for sale. And Matt and I had about 10 minutes of like, we should buy it. Because that Denver restaurant has a few things up now where they're like, this is the South Park, Casa Bonita. And, you know, and there are people who now go to Casa Bonita just because of South Park. But of course, the reason that Casabinia is filing for Chapter 11 is because this eatery has been closed for more than a year because of the pandemic. This happened on Saturday, Sunday, and then come Monday, now the really big news, you know, in regard to, you know, things that have to shut down. We learn about how the Arclight Cinemas and the Pacific Theater chain has been taken out by COVID. 
As somebody who's been writing about film and living out in L.A. for quite some time now, Drew, you of all people know about the Hollywood Arclight and the Cinerama Dome, just to lose those. Yeah, I mean, I was at, I was at the Arclight probably two or three times a week back in the before times, mm-hmm. just because it was such a centralized location. And that's where they did a bunch of screenings mm-hmm. and premieres and special events mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, it, this is a tragedy. I mean, the other thing is that the Pacific Theater's are at uh, the Grove mm-hmm. and the Americana, which are two of the big malls out oh, here. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah. And I think for a little while, and I don't know if this is still the case, Jim, we need to look into this, mm-hmm. but uh, Pacific Theaters operated the LCAP. In fact, we got a question about this. Eric Levitt actually reached out to two of us through Twitter. He wanted to ask, any idea what this means for the the El Capitan Theater? I, I thought they were owned and operated by the Pacific Theater. I am hazy in the details, and so... Spent the afternoon digging down into the details, and sorry, Eric, they're still pretty hazy. Late 1980s, the Walt Disney Company supposedly buys a controlling share of of the stock of the Pacific Theater chain. Then, in 89, the Pacific Theater chain leases back to the Disney Company two theaters, the El Capitan in Hollywood and the Crest up in Westwood. Now, in regard to El Cap, Disney then spends two years and upwards of $14 million to do what is then called a museum-quality restoration of the El Cap. This Hollywood movie palace reopens for business June 19, 1991. And I know you'll appreciate this, Drew. The first movie they show after it's been restored is The Rocketeer. Yep. And since then, it's been Disney's basically go-to place for its movie premieres. Pacific Theater... Hasn't been entirely thrilled with the property. They previously put it on the market. As recently as 2008, the El Cap was up for grabs if someone was willing to pay $31 million for it. Disney is still operating. I, you, know, in fact, you can go to the El Cap page today, and they are showing Raya and the Last Dragon. There was a showing at 4 o'clock today and a showing at 7.30. Starting on April 20th, the El Cap is available for private bookings and... You have a choice between the movies you can watch there. You can watch Raya or this lovely film that you wrote the book about, Pixar Soul. Obviously, Disney will want to maintain this facility because it's where it has its premiere, then it's a place it sunk $14 million into. Did they ever do anything with the crest? See, I was concentrating the El Cap. Tell you what, I'll have news on the crest for the next Okay, show. yeah, I would love to. And I, and I, I have hope that the... That the dome at least will be salvaged because I think it's a Hollywood, it's a historic landmark. I want to say you're right. I mean, it's 58 years old this year. Okay. Just this past weekend, TCM ran the movie that basically the theater was initially built for. It's a mad, 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 mad world. So it, it was just strange the weekend that that movie was running was when we found out that you know it was going to be closing. But and, and also I should stress here that. Just because the name of the chain is the Pacific Theaters, don't think that this is just theaters in Southern California or the West Coast that have been impacted. In fact, in Boston, we just got an Arclight Theater. Oh, really? Yep. Opened November of 2019. It's in the brand new complex. It's right across from the TD Garden. Only made it till March and then the pandemic shut down everything. And now, you know, word comes that it's closing and it's not reopening. Yeah, this is a huge blow. I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful that Netflix maybe will take over the dome because they just took that over the Egyptian mm-hmm. down the street. So they could have ha- they could have a real kind of center down there. Know, that'd be killer. I mean, they moved they moved a Amoeba down the street. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole area is just not mm-hmm. 
It's not what it used to be, no, sadly. No, no, Continuing on here, speaking of Pixar's soul, just this past weekend, the British Academy of Film gave out its BAFTAs, their equivalent of the Oscars. What a surprise. Soul took home Best Animated Feature, also took home a BAFTA for Best Original Score. So at this point, given the momentum, it's not even worth betting on at this point, is it? (laughs) Soul's pretty much got a lock on the Best Animated Feature Oscar, which is fine. I just honestly wish that Wolfwalkers had gotten a little more love during this award season. And it was just over a deadline, and and they're they're doing the page wrap of all of the right. the other places that Wolfwalkers has won awards, and it's the New York Critics Circle. I mean, there's a lot of impressive things, but it just it's just not looking like it's going to go their way come Oscar time. There's a very there's a very cool billboard down the street from me, Jim, on Riverside, and I had to snap a picture and I sent it to mm. to Tom Moore, one of the directors, mm. and he said, "Oh, thank." I'll try to do my my Irish accent now. <laughs> oh, I wish I could see it. There you go. Uh, there, that's my my Irish impression for you, Jim. What was I reading online that they're now talking about? You know, when am I get to see get to see Wolfwalkers on Blu-ray and DVD? And I, oh, I saw that they're going to do a trilogy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. G Kids is doing it. Yeah. yeah so okay, I'm willing to wait for that. But yeah, speaking of things we are are waiting on, we've talked in the show about Space Jam: A, a New Legacy, but we just had. The trailer drop on Saturday, April 3rd. So you you were the one who's been feeding people the, the information about the Warner Brothers multiverse and that sort of thing. We, we certainly saw that in spades in this trailer. Yeah, I, I never thought I would see the droogs from A Clockwork Orange in the background of a Space Jam trailer. Yeah, I, I have to admit... You cut Pepe Le Pew because he's aggressive with Simo, but, but you, you put the droogs in from <laughs> Clockwork Orange. Has anybody at Waters looked at that Stanley Kubrick film? They're probably looking at the soundtrack album. It's like, oh, it has singing in the rain in it. Oh, <laughs> perfect. What did you think of the trailer? I mean, it, w- it was kind of an assault, mm. Jim. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, it was funny because even afterwards, you saw Chris Miller and Phil Lord mm-hmm. on Twitter kind of defending the Lego movie, mm-hmm. kind of like, because people were kind of like, look what you've wrought. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, you know, it, it came from my child playing with two sets of toys, you know, putting Han Solo and Gandalf mm-hmm. or whatever in the same Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. So they were sort of defending themselves, which I thought was very funny because, yeah, that that trailer was a it was a lot, mm-hmm. Jim. What did, what did you think? I have the uneasy feeling that this is going to be Ready Player One all over again. You know the whole notion of how many times have you watched the battle scenes in that thing? You know, or you know the the mixed world, and it's like that character, ooh, that vehicle, that you know. I mean, I don't think at this point anybody's really compiled a definitive list of Easter eggs, and I get the uneasy feeling that Space Jam: A, a New Legacy is going to be that all over again this is a movie you have to see at least twice with the hope that you catch all of the gags or catch all of the bits and and i'm sure warner is just perfectly happy with that you know as long as you buy the merch or what did you think of the 2d versus the 3d animation the fact that it even had 2d animation made me happy because initially i guess that was the concern it's like wow the looney tunes and cg here's my question jim why did they have to make him a 2d character when they're 2d because that was the whole the whole first movie was about 
a human interacting with 2D characters. This time they kind of had to make him 2D as well. I thought that was very strange. You bring up something that I thought was genuinely funny that the weekend that the trailer first broke where people were like, well, what about the rules of the world that were established in the original Space Jam? And it's like, wow, if you're invested enough in Space Jam to worry about the rules and that yeah. they haven't been carried over to the second film, there's a whole bunch of other movies I'd like to show you first. <laughs> I will see this movie, but like the first one, I'm not invested. You know, I'm yeah. I'm just here. I'm, I'm hoping to see this in a theater, with, have some soda, so have some popcorn, sit down and and try to enjoy it. All right, one quick little side note here that that in the announcement on Saturday with the trailer, they did also reveal that Zendaya is coming on board as the new voice of Lola Rabbit. And there was like this five-minute-long thing online, I don't know if you saw it, where someone was trying to... Because, you know, the the woman who did the voice for the original uh, film, uh, Katie Susie, is still out there. And it's the notion of, oh, my God, they brought in Zedadaya. You know, it's 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 Judy Jetson all over again. And it's one of these things where it's like, wow, you're reaching all the way back to Jetson's The Movie when it was Janet Waldo, who was the original voice of Judy Jetson on the original animated series back in, what, 62? But they made a movie called Jetson's The Movie. It came out in 1990, and they... The executives decided at virtually the last minute that it would probably help the film if they had a pop star do the soundtrack. And they reached out to Tiffany, and I guess it's Tiffany's representatives who said, well, we don't just want her to do the soundtrack, we want her to be a voice in the film. And so she came in as the new voice of Judy Jetson. And it really upset a lot of people back then. In fact, I want to say Andrew Romano, who is kind of like the voice casting person in the business she was so offended that this was done so late in the game she had her name taken off of the jetson movie but it's just sort of a, oh really yeah yeah but on the other hand if we, if we look at lola rabbit all right since katie did the voice for the original space jam there have been seven different women who have done the voice of uh lola in fact my personal favorite of the bunch for the Looney Tune show, they brought in Kristen Wiig. Have you ever seen her take on Lola Rabbit? No, I, I honestly did not know Lola was even in rotation this much in the years since. Kristen had this wonderful take on um, on Lola that that she's confident, friendly, doesn't have a filter, constantly talking, and also constantly needs to pee, which is kind of just a great running gag of the show. She'll be doing something, oh, gotta go pee, and then go off. And speaking of sequels to movies, just this past week, we learned that the new Hotel Transylvania film has a subtitle. Is it Transformania? Which I reached out and said, what what the hell is this? Is this set in, is this a WrestleMania (laughs) thing? Is this set in the 80s? Are there Transformers Mm. involved? Uh, I do not, I did not get a response back, Jim. So I will have to wait on that. Okay. um, So again, we, we still have a July 23rd release date this year. You were pointing out, though, that this is the fourth and final film of the series? Yeah, that's what the language they were using mm. on everything, which, yeah, I hadn't heard that before. And and you know if this thing crosses a billion dollars. <laughs> oh, my God, we have to tell more Hotel Transylvania stories. Yeah, on the last show, we were talking about the Hotel Transylvania short that was going to be only shown in Cinemark theaters, Monster Pets, something like that. Yeah. 
Did you watch it? Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it showed up online on, on April 9th. It's cute, but it's very reminiscent of the last two or three Hotel Transylvania movies. So I thought the Cruise one was an improvement over two, and I still really, really enjoy the first one. Well, the directors of Monster Pets are the direct are the two directors of the, the new movie. Okay, okay. So... All right. It'll be consistent, Jim, at the very, okay. at the very least. All right. Yeah. I, I want this to work. But even if the film series is ending, you were pointing out that the characters will live on. And where did you come up with this Aquaverse story? Somebody sent me it. I think somebody from Sony Animation. And then I looked it up and I was just uh, very impressed and bewildered by the IP that is <laughs> being brought into this water park. There was a pre-existing water park in Thailand, in the seaside town of Bangzare, a decision was made that they're going to redo this park using Columbia Pictures and Sony Pictures Animation IP. So I guess they're in the process of retooling the park now. It's going to soft open in sometimes in 2022 with eight different zones, three that are built on animated properties, Hotel Transylvania, Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs and Surf's Up, and then three live-action zones. So did you see the IPs here? We got Ghostbusters, Jumanji, Men in Black, and Bad Boys. Yes. It's like, the nice thing is they can save on the Will Smith check. Well, that the Bad Boys thing is a go-kart race. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's but what was interesting was they, they said that they were going to have um, Vivo in the park, too. So I was I was like trying to scour the website to see if they'd accidentally leaked any new f- images from Vivo, Ooh, which they did not. But okay. supposedly that is coming. Okay. So, yeah. Wow, I yeah. missed that. But I didn't pick up on the, the bad boys go-kart kidding, but I guess Hotel Transylvania is the kid-friendly zone. Yeah, yeah. And whereas Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is the their lazy river, you get to circle the Aquaverse. And, you know, as you go around the lazy river, you meet all the foodimals from the first Hellman. Which makes me wonder if we're going to run into any water elephants, uh, which we're seeing in Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs too. Speaking of elephants, Drew has a tale to share about a certain cartoon elephant who almost made his big screen debut in, that was 2014, 2013? 2012, everything broke down in I think about 2012, yeah. Okay. Well, trust me, folks, this, this story is worth it, so be sure to come back after this commercial break. Before we get started here, just want to share that our friends over at Disney Plus will have a brand new set of documentaries debuting, I want to say, on National Geographic Channel they have there, The Secret of the Whales, that will be debuting on April 22nd, Earth Day. Oh, and by the way, Jim, if you're if you're worried about, you know, usually they put out a Disney Nature movie on Earth Day yep. this year. It's mm-hmm. National Geographic. Mm-hmm. Disney Nature is not dead. Okay. I, I can say that here, and there will be more Disney Nature movies oh. in the not-too-distant future. So I was worried, Jim, when I saw this, uh, you know, so mm-hmm. I was reassured, do not worry, it is Good. still alive. So anyway. That's great to hear. Well, I, the reason I bring up uh, the Secret of the Whales thing is it, it reminded me, um, you know, in fact, I, I, I just pulled out my old copies of Rabbit Rabbit, which was the Disney MGM Studio Animation Florida newsletter. Every week they put together a newsletter for the folks that work there. And among the projects they'd list that they were working on was Song of the Sea, which was supposed to be a full-length animated feature was going to tell the story of a baby humpback whale. They did all sorts of development art, uh, all sorts of animation tests. 
the feature film was eventually abandoned, but they then took a lot of the development art, uh, a lot of the stuff they'd done. And do you remember the Pines of Rome sequence from uh, Fantasia 2000? Just say the flying whales. The flying whales. Okay. So (laughs) this is the thing that, that, you know, Song of the Sea eventually found its way to the screen as a sequence in Fantasia 2000, but not as a full-length animated film. And face it, Disney has been trying to make movies about gigantic creatures, like to take, for example, gigantic. Just can't figure out how. Whereas Disney's competitors, they want giant hits. For example, in the mid to the late 1990s, that meant trying to duplicate what had just happened with The Lion King, which at that time was, was the top-grossing animated film of all time. We pivot out of DreamWorks Animation, uh, which thought the easiest way to do this was build a, a, another coming-of-age story built around a cute animal. Only in this case, it wasn't a lion cub. It was going to be built around a baby elephant. And so December 1998, it, this is literally weeks after Ants has come out ahead of A Bug's Life during that whole period when things were not really all that great between Disney and DreamWorks. They were very, very, very competitive. But DreamWorks and, and their CGI or PDI announced that the third animated project, which will be following Shrek, which is going to come into theaters 2001, I want to say, 2000. This film is going to be called Tusker. It's going to be an original story about a herd of elements crossing Southeast Asia in their travels. They're going to encounter all sorts of dangers, including marauding poachers. This is supposed to be the follow-up project for the the team for Ants. So we've got Tim Johnson, who's the co-director of Ants, and Brad Lewis, the producer of Ants, who will eventually, by the way, go on to direct Cars 2 over at Pixar. They're slated to direct and produce. And Katzenberg, as he's talking up this movie, it's supposed to be kind of an homage to World War II films like The Dirty Dozen or The Guns of Navarone. So you have this... This crew of screw-ups who have to go on an impossible mission to save the rest of the herd. They use the Disney template. There's all those stories about artists actually going to Africa to study animals before they come back and begin working on King of the Jungle or The Lion King. March of 99, uh, a bunch of animators and directors from DreamWorks go to an elephant preserve in Nashville, Tennessee. And spend a couple days there, you know, stuttering the mannerisms, the personalities of elephants, and then... May of 2000, Katzenberg takes a group of people over to Asia to study landscape. And so this is a go project. In fact, they had Morgan Friedman lined up as the voice of the lead elephant Tusker. Jodie Foster was going to be the female lead. They had supporting characters being voiced by Gary Shandling, Don Knotts, Dana Carvey, Bruno Kirby. Katzenberg even leaned back and grabbed Ted Elliott and Terry Ruscio, who he'd worked with on Aladdin, to come in and write the script. And this was all headed for a December 2002 release. And But then comes uh, spring of 2001, and there's all this talk about the projects in trouble. And Katzenberg does an interview with USA Today in June, denies that there's any problems. Nevertheless, come July, the film's release date gets pushed back from 2002 to 2003. And at this point, they're saying, well, you know, what's going to happen is it probably Tusker won't come out until after Shrek 2. But then Shrek 2 has story problems and it doesn't come out into theaters till May of 2004. By February of 2002, PDI, Pacific Data Image, is like, look, Tusker is currently on hold. 
because the stories of Shrek 2 and now Madagascar are more developed and ready for production. So we're going to go ahead with those, but we'll continue to work on Tusker. But Shrek 2 isn't due out in theaters till May of 2004. Madagascar isn't due out in theaters till May of 2005, which means Tusker at its earliest will make it into theaters till 2006. But they're still working on it. March of 2002, Jodie Foster is recording on the movie. And, and then it just starts to slow down. They just can't resolve the story problems. Eventually, the film gets pulled off of DreamWorks production schedule entirely. But August of 2008, it's reported that Imagi International is going to pick up the reins with Tusker. Evidently, DreamWorks Animation co-headed production, a gentleman called Cesar Kramer, who had been shepherding uh, Tusker at that studio, you know, for six years at this point, somehow arranged that, give me the rights to this movie, I'm going to go produce it someplace else. So he brings it to Imagi. They get a brand new script by Ted Talley, and they now have a new release date. It's early 2011. Come February 5th, 2010, the film is effectively canceled because Imagi International Animation Studios suddenly closes for good. I just mentioned that because these stories are going to be very much in parallel. So let's now talk about The Legend of Timbo, another elephant movie. So this was a digital domain animated feature, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They were, I mean, initially they were co-founded by Stan Winston and James Cameron. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But they've done CGI work on all sorts of movies, Titanic and True Lies and all this stuff. And so this was supposed to be their first animated feature. Mm-hmm. Basically, the long and short of it is that that this movie never got made because the studio got shut down. And I was very curious about this story. Mm-hmm. So I called a friend of mine named Betsy Bauer, mm-hmm. who's done amazing visual development work on all sorts of things, mm-hmm. including Troll Hunters and a bunch of stuff that hasn't come out yet. And she was there. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, what the hell happened? And so she she graduated from school in 2011. 2012, she was an apprentice. Mm-hmm. And so they they were working on this new building. She was at this temp building that she said was next to a river. And at some point, there were all these crabs that came out of the river and were trying to get into the building. Ah. And they were these giant blue crabs. Mm. Yeah, that there was actually a sign on the door that said, please don't let these crabs come into the building. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, the new studio was very uh, cool. Um, she said one of the Doobie brothers played for the studio one night while they were working. And she was on Timbo the entire time. She was doing exploration, character designs. As they moved into pre-production, she was working on packets for props and things like that. And when they studio closed, they were a month away from starting production. There was literally a chart on the wall, Jim, with a countdown clock in terms of until the days they were supposed to start. What kills me about this movie is they had figured out how to tell a story. You can go on right. one right now. There are animation tests for Tembo. There's concept art for Tembo. And the brilliance of what they were going to try to do here was that Tembo was, was an elephant born in India who got pressed into military service. And when I say that, he was one of the elephants that Hannibal rode up over the Alps. So there's the, all of this amazing... Well, yeah, for a time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah. How did it change? So <laughs> Imagi was a Chinese company, mm-hmm. and they got this money from China mm-hmm. 
And then all of a sudden, the entire movie shifted from India to China. So all the sort of historical stuff that you're talking about being Hannibal, that went away. And so apparently at one of these meetings, um, somebody said, we got the rights to Tusker. We didn't plan for the movie to be Tusker, but there were enough similarities that we thought we should buy the rights. Holy cow. So... According to Betsy, Imagi still mm-hmm. has the rights in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And what, what really ties it into our story mm-hmm. today, Jim, mm-hmm. that she said was that the financial people came down mm-hmm. and, and basically fired everybody. There was a guy named John Texter who was doing all sorts of weird stuff. But when they fired everybody, other studios came down to try to hire. And one of the big recruiters that were super helpful was Blue Sky Studios. They came down and they set up interviews. They rented out an entire hotel. Mm -hmm. They were looking at portfolios. And, you know, there were a couple of people that came in from the Albuquerque Sony studio and the West Coast digital domain. But she said that Blue Sky was really, really sweet. And what's interesting is that they didn't get paid out. Mm -hmm. They didn't get their 60 days worth of pay. Mm -hmm. And there was actually a class action lawsuit against Digital Domain, but the payout was so middling that nobody even got anything from it. This explains so much because I was just looking at the list of the the creators for Tembo, this wonderful brand new studio that they built at Port St. Lucie. But the studio attracted a number of talented creators in turn, Aaron Blaze, the the director of Brother Bear, and Brad Lewis, the co-director of Cars 2. So here he is, after having had Tusker fall out from under him and now working on Tembo. But I love that you pointed out because now the story is basically Tusker that, well, it makes sense to bring in the guy who was actually working on Tusker to try to get it done. But And Ch- Chuck Williams, I think, was the other director, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah, it was all planned to have, at this point, a 2014 uh, release. Can you tell the story about the actual day when they, they all showed up? or And, you know... Uh, supposedly, there had been rumors in the press down there mm. for, for a long time. And that management was saying, we see you're you're seeing things in the newspaper. Don't freak out. Mm -hmm. And then the Friday they get there and the doors are literally locked. And according to Betsy, I mean, it almost turned into a mob. Mm -hmm. There were people who who had shown up from L.A. Mm -hmm. the week before, moved their entire lives down to the middle of nowhere, Florida. Mm -hmm. And they're being told the movie's over. I mean, I cannot imagine what that was like. So that's 2011, 2012. You know, it's working its way through the courts. Digital domain, I'm looking at Iron Man 3 out in 2013. Or for that matter, the Jungle Book, the Jon Favreau digital version, which, by the way, has wonderful CG elements. That's out in 2016. I mean, they're still continuing to work. I mean, we didn't get to see these two movies, but we're still seeing digital domains work to this day that... In fact, again, I'm looking at the last three films for 2021, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, West Side Story, and Spider-Man No Way Home. So they're still in business. They're still delivering top quality work for films that make billions and billions of dollars. And yet, if you read about The Legend of Tembo, they had five films in development. Five animated features, and they settled, you know, this is the good one. This is the strong story. This is the one we want to make our first film. 
Well, and supposedly Aaron Aaron has the rights to one one of the other stories. Really? So, yeah, I doubt it'll it'll see the light of day. But she said that they had kind of set up a Pixar, you know, that lunch that they all, everybody talks about at Pixar where they came up with mm-hmm. five ideas mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. They kind of had that at this studio, but. Obviously, no, nobody's going to see any of the other movies, mm-hmm. I guess, unless Aaron does something with his. But Well, no, Aaron's still out there. In fact, he's still teaching animation classes. But we should have him on. We should have him on the show. Yeah, no, yeah. no, definitely. But oh, that's that just kind of kills me. And how many animation studios have to close in Florida? I mean, all the way back to Max Fleischer and the... The one in Miami yeah. that I guess now is a, a civil service building. Or... Well, the digital domain building is now a mega church. So, Jim, if you need if you need <laughs> prayer and you're down in the area, I did not know. Okay, go, go over. Pray to Tembo. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, all right. That brings us to the tail end of, of this week's show. And anyone who who's listened to Fine Tony previously knows that I am a huge fan of the other podcast that Drew does, the truly entertaining trio of Light the Fuse, Light the Wick, and Light the Fuselage. We also have some other podcasts here. We've got Disney Dish with Lentesta, Marvel Us Disney, the podcast I do with Aaron Adams, working at a brand new Universal Joint that I helped record with Dustin Fuse in a, a couple of days. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.